Our scripture lesson today comes from the good news. According to St. John, chapter 10, let's share in God's good word together. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly, I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who came before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Jesus said, I came that you might have an abundant life. There's a lot of things pulling away from our lives, and we've got a choice to make. Will we follow Jesus and his way of an unhurried life, or be caught up in all the distractions around us? Did you know that we don't have to get our way all the time to be happy? Did you know that children who learn delayed gratification techniques are more successful and happier in life? And did you know that like Jesus, we Christians, well, we're to have the capacity to respond in love and not anger when somebody denies us from getting what we want. Some of the things we're going to talk about today, well, they might surprise you. They may even sound crazy, maybe even impossible. But I promise you, you were made in the image of God. Not to be like the world, but in the image of God. And God is not in a hurry. And you can learn how not to be in a hurry too. Today, we finish up our sermon series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Friends, hurry is the great enemy of the spiritual life. Will you say that with me? Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. We are in our last concluding sermon on our series, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. And many people have asked early on, well, what's the difference between moving quickly and getting a lot of things done and hurry? Well, hurry is a state of frantic effort in response to feelings of inadequacy, fear, and guilt. It's fine to move quickly, but what we don't want for one another is that terrible feeling that if we don't get this just right, if we don't get it done in the next five minutes, that something bad's going to happen to ourselves or to someone we really care about. That was week one, and it's a big problem in our culture. In the second week, we expanded on that theme, and psychologists even go as far as to say that there's such a thing as hurry sickness. Right? Psychologists now talk about an epidemic, it's so widespread, of our modern world called hurry sickness. The first person uh, to coin that phrase was Meyer Friedman. And this is all the way back in the 1950s. And he said this, Hurry sickness is a continuous struggle and unremitting attempt to accomplish or achieve more and more things or participate in more and more events in less and less time. Well, friends, that sounds like last week, not the 1950s, at least to me. Now, I'm, if you're like me at all, you do want to get more and more done in less and less time. Wouldn't that be wonderful? But if we're not careful, we will get caught up in the lie of hurry and actually shorten our lives uh, by this hurry sickness. 
So what we found out in week two is this. If you want the peace of Christ, you got to live the pace of Christ. Right? If you want the peace of Christ, live the pace of Christ. Jesus was never in a hurry. He would get up and go out into a deserted area so that he could be alone with his father to pray and in silence and in solitude. He would take a Sabbath every seven days, sundown uh, Friday to sundown Saturday. Jesus was not in a hurry, and you don't need to be either. You are in his good, loving hands. So week one and two, silence and solitude. Week three, we talked about Sabbath. Because Sabbath is so important for us humans because our desire is infinite, yet we humans are finite. Desire simply leads to more desire. And the gap between infinity and finitude is restlessness. Right? So if our desire is infinite and we can't do anything about that, but we're finite beings, the result is restlessness. We get less rest. We're more anxious. We're more worried. And Sabbath is the corrective to that. Sabbath brings restfulness to our restlessness. God knows what we need. All of God's commandments are for our good, for our health, for the beauty of the world, and for the betterment of our societies and our lives, our families, our friends. Um, God wants to bring heaven to earth, and we've got a part to play in that if we would just listen to the Lord. Walter Brueggemann says it like this, People who keep Sabbath live all seven days differently. It's not just something we do one day a week. It actually transforms our whole lives all seven days. We're more rested. We're more loving. um, We're less quick-tempered. We're more patient. All the wonderful things of God um, come better when we're rested. And then last week, week four, a simple life. We talked about simplicity. A simple life is choosing less stuff and activities to gain more time, more space for what matters most. We're going to accumulate less stuff, commit ourselves to less things so that we can have more time in our life, more space in our life for that which really matters most. Um, For me, of course, that's the Lord and my family, my friends, uh, my church family. Uh, These things matter most to me, and I don't want to get caught up in all the distractions of the world. So as a summary up to today, to eliminate hurry, imitate Jesus' life. This is what he practiced, solitude, silence, Sabbath, and simplicity. And today we come to our final week, and that is we are going to slow down, friends. We're just going to slow down. Now, this is a very practical sermon, and so it it won't feel like a lot of the sermons that you've heard me preach before, but it's so important. I really want to give you the tools to help you slow down, enjoy life that really is life, the life that Jesus says he's come to give you, an abundant and wonderful life. Jesus says he is the way and the truth and the life. So this is why it's so important, friends. You have only one life. You only have one life. And God wants you to enjoy it and to make it count. And so many times in our our religiosity, people think, well, you can either enjoy your life or you can make it purposeful and count. And no, those actually go together. The most enjoyable thing you can do, the most peace you can have, is when your values uh, align with God's and your joy and your time. It all lines up together so you are an integrated person. And you just have this one life, friends. Do you know the average life expectancy in the United States? Well, it's roughly 79 years old. Um, It's actually been dropping the last few years. 79 years old. Well, many of you all know uh, that I am getting older. I'm going to have a birthday this week. Happy birthday to me. And I am not yet 79. 
but I'm also not young. So 79 on my little measuring tape here is right here. So if, if I die at average age, that's it. That's gone for me. And um, this week, I will be 54. And so here's 54. Everything that has gone before me is past. 50. Friends, that's all I got left. That's it. I don't know about you, but I want this to count. I want to enjoy this. I want this to matter. And I want your life to matter as well. A.R. Bernard says it like this. Life is God's gift to us. And what we do with it is our gift to God. And I think that's exactly right. We are to help bring heaven to earth, to be about what God wants done to be done right here. But here's the thing I found as a pastor. Most people that I know, they don't think about the time they have left in life until they have little time left to live. When I talk to young families and even folks in middle age, they're just trying to get by. They're trying to get through the day. They're not thinking about the things that matter most to them, the, the joy that they want to have, the, the friends that they want to spend time with, the things that they say matter most. They're just trying to get through the day to keep their job and you know, keep their head down and get through and get the stuff done. And get the kids where they need to be and get dinner on the table and just survive. That's where most people live that I know until they get sick or until they come to the end of their life, and then they really get reflective. But too often, that doesn't happen until they have little time left to live. You don't have to do that. That's no life at all. Live your life now. It's important. Enjoy it. Make it count. And this is why it's so important as well. There's no peace until your schedule is aligned with your values. That's where peace comes. You, you are restless and, and torn apart, not integrated, disintegrated, actually, when your time and your schedule is not aligned with what you most believe in. There's no peace until your schedule is aligned with your values. So it is wise to regularly deny ourselves from getting what we want. Um, earlier, I, I talked about delayed gratification. That's not only true for our children. They need to learn how to do that, you know, how to wait uh, for dinner or, or wait to not just go in and take everybody's candy off their desk. You know, you can actually wait and learn how to do that. It's also true for adults. We can learn how to be at peace at a red light. We can learn how to be at peace waiting to be seated at a restaurant. We can actually even be at peace waiting while we're on hold uh, with a service provider. You can do it. Um, God can help you. So how do we do this, though? How do we really train ourselves and what the Bible calls righteousness, rightness. How can we make ourselves a loving presence in the world, light in a darkened world, rather than just adding to the anger and the chaos of it? And we see way too much of that today. You know that, I know that. So this is how we do it, friends. It's the spiritual discipline of slowing. Now, this idea of slowing, um, of course, goes all the way back into biblical times, as we've been talking about. But of late, things are so hurried that John Ortberg and Richard Foster actually developed an entire practice around just simply slowing down. Uh, John writes it like this. He says, Slowing is cultivating patience by deliberately choosing to place ourselves in positions where we simply have to wait. When I read that to the staff this week, they just groaned. They're like, ugh. We, we hate waiting, don't we? We just don't like this. But friends, you can't develop patience if you don't practice waiting. 
That's how you develop patience. And so I've got the Ten Commandments of Slowing Down for you today. Number one, drive the speed limit. Really, drive the speed limit. I hate driving the speed limit. It makes me feel slow, even though it's the speed limit. We are to actually honor the laws of the land. That is what we are to do as people of faith, to honor uh, those rulers that have been placed over us. And we do that by driving the speed limit. And as you well know, if you break that law, it may cost you. It may cost you a couple hundred bucks. And so it's just wise to slow down. It's safer for you. It's safer for others. And it's good for you. Simply drive the speed limit. And if you're going to Tulsa, you can see my favorite speed limit sign. There it is. 80 miles an hour. Can you believe that? The first time in my life it's ever been 80 miles an hour just a few years ago. It used to be 55, and that seemed to take forever. But you know what? When I do 80 going into Tulsa, I've got people passing me. It's just the way it is. You give somebody a line, and the human condition is to go over that line. So friends, to be honest, the really the only way that I cannot speed is to put myself on cruise control and make myself keep my foot off the pedal. That's about the only way I can do it. Or I naturally just want to go with the flow of traffic, which is most often over the speed limit. Once you think about what happens inside of you, when you're actually going the speed limit, you're doing the right thing, truly the right thing, the best thing. It's better for you and those around you. Yet, as people fly by you, you think, no way, I'm, I'm going with them. Friends, you're not going the same place, are you? No, of course not. Everybody seeing I-35 is not all headed to the same destination. There's no reasonable expectation that we should all be driving at the same pace other than at or below the speed limit by just a little bit. Don't drive too slow. That's annoying. Okay, number two, still talking about driving. Come to a full stop at stop signs. I don't mean slow down and just yield. I don't mean just kind of look in and, and keep going. I mean a full stop to where you actually feel your body go back into the seat, and then go again. Lots and lots of accidents here in Edmond happen because people simply don't fully stop. And it's very dangerous, very expensive. So I invite you to just, whatever, wherever you're going, you've got an extra second and a half to actually stop and then go. And then thirdly, you know this, it's super important, but it's still hard not to do. If you get caught up in your work or in other people's lives, do not text and drive. You know this one. Don't text and drive. It's so, so, so dangerous. And, and the latest information I could find is from 2018. And, and just from texting and driving, from distracted driving from our phones, 2,841 people were killed in 2018 alone and 400,000 injured, nearly a half a million people injured simply because people couldn't stop looking at their phone. Now, think about that. And this is all preventable. This is, this is from the National Highway Traffic and Safety Administration. They know the numbers from 2018, and I don't think it's gotten better in 2021. I hope it has. But here's the statistics. Before, I know what you're thinking. You're like, those teenagers, yeah, they should really get off their phones. It's not the teenagers. Exactly. 16 to 20-year-olds, yeah, 14% of them uh, are struggling with this. 21 to 24-year-olds, 16. Oh, look, who are the worst offenders? 25 to 34-year-olds. That is at the peak of who's texting and driving these days. Because you're so busy, you've got so much to do. I get why you would, but it's not worth it. And we ought not be dogging on the young people because it's not 
really, they're not the worst offenders. And then, you know, down here, you've got uh, 35 to 44 year olds, and then 45 to 50 year olds, 54 year olds, that's me. And then, you know what, after my 54th birthday, man, we're just too nervous about driving at all anyway. Like, hey, we're never going to text and drive because we're just lucky to be driving at all. So, uh, and we want to keep our license. So here's the thing, friends. Don't text and drive. It's not worth it. It might just save your life and maybe equally important, somebody else's life that may not even be in a car. Maybe they're on a bike or they're walking or walking their dog. I mean, it's just not worth it. You know that. I know that. Just slow down. Whatever it is, whatever text you're getting, it's not worth uh, the chances of the terrible consequences. Now, this one's really tough. And I don't know very many people that ever even want to try this one. Get in the longest checkout line at the grocery store. Really. You do it. You go to Walmart, you go to the grocery store, and you look. And wherever is the longest line, you choose, because of your own character, you choose to put your community to bless them, let them go ahead. And you simply wait in the longest line. And oftentimes, there will be someone uh, with a small child or struggling, and you can actually be at peace, and you can help them, and you can be a blessing even at the grocery store in ways that you cannot when you're in a hurry. You won't even notice the things around you if you're in a really big hurry. Number five, parent your phone. Really, your phone needs to be parented. You put it to bed before you, and you make it sleep in. Uh, So, for example, you're like, well, how, how would I do that? Well, you can just put it in airplane mode so that all those texts and all those emails and all that stuff that keeps you up at night, you have that turned off until the next day. And then you decide when that information comes to you rather than everyone else deciding when you get to sleep or when you get to get up and how you start your day. So, young parents, let me ask you this. What if you put your phones to bed at the same time as your kids? How might your life change? What conversations might you have? What joy might you have in your life that when your kids go to bed, so do your phones? And there you are. You can enjoy one another once again. It's a beautiful thing to be in the presence of those you love. Now, here's the hard truth, though. 75% of us, we sleep right next to our phones. We use them as an alarm. Uh, We're worried that we might get a phone call or a text or something. And so we fall asleep almost with it in our hands, and we put it right next to the bed, and we wake up right to it. And so this is interesting to me. While 75% of folks sleep with their phone next to the bed, 9 out of 10 of us, it's the very first thing we check when we wake up. And that was true in 2012. I can't imagine what the number is today. I couldn't find it. I tried to find it. But all the way back in 2012, 90% of folks, the very first thing they do, it's not good morning, Lord. It's not a a nice cup of coffee. It's not, you know, playing with your dog or any of that beautiful stuff of your life that would be peaceful. No. 90 plus percent of the folks in America go straight to their phone and are bombarded before you ever leave the house. So here, friends, with all I am, I want to ask you this. Do not let your phone set your emotional state for the day. That's dumb. Why would you do that? Right? Because do you own your phone or does your phone own you? And friends, if you are upset before you ever get in the car to go to work or do whatever you're doing because of something on your phone, a news feed or something ridiculous, why would you do that to yourself? You don't have to do that. You don't have to live like the rest of the world. You actually can be at peace.
Number six, one of my favorites. Uh, if you know me well, you know I hate email. I'm really terrible at it. And so I've ha- tried to have lots and lots of folks help me. And this actually does help me. Set a time for your email. Just like with your phone, set a time for your email. And the productivity experts, you know what they tell you? They say never check your email more than twice a day. And so really, I don't know what your schedule is, but for a lot of people, 9 a.m. when they're you know, getting into work, and it works for them. And then about an hour before they leave, they check it again to take care of the things that came in through the day, just twice. And they stay there until it gets to zero. Their inbox goes back to zero. And this is why. Because if you allow that to sneak in and you get an email, right, as you're driving home and you look at it, well, there's your problem with the texting. And the other thing after that is, have you ever forgotten an email that you looked at and you meant to respond to? Sure you have. But that happens because you're not in a rhythm of knowing when you're going to do it and how long you're going to do it. Because it seems like it's never ending. Because if you don't turn it off or shut it down, it is. So, number seven, very similar. Set a time limit for social media. Or just get off of it completely. You don't need it. Really. Just set a time limit. For me, on, on Instagram, I love to take little photos of like leaves these days. But it tells me, hey, Mark, you've lost 30 minutes of your life. Shut it down. And so maybe that would be helpful to you. You set a time limit on your social media platform, whichever one sucks your time away. Then number eight, this is one of my favorites, single task. Multitasking is a myth. It's a lie. It doesn't, it doesn't obviously exist. Just single task. Do something, give it your full attention, and finish it. Actually get done with it. Hang in there. Focus and then finish the project, whatever it is that you're doing. That email, uh, that phone call that you need to make, whatever it is, just do that. And particularly for those that you love. Walter Brueggemann puts it like this. Multitasking is the drive to be more than we are, to control more than we do, to extend our power and our effectiveness. Such practice yields a divided self, right? Not integrated, disintegrated, with full attention given to, say it with me, nothing. Nothing. Friends, when's the last time someone had your full attention? You know what a great gift that is. The very first act of love is giving your attention to something. Really pay attention to your children, to your spouse, to your parents, to your neighbors, to your God. When's the last time someone had your full attention? Number nine, experiment with mindfulness and meditation. You're like, Hold on now. You know, I didn't think Christians were supposed to do that. Friends, all it is is updated language, right? So mindfulness and meditation is really silence and solitude for secular society, right? It, it's, it's just a different way of talking about these practices that we're talking about. And sure, there are some uh, differences, but by and large, we're really talking about this discipline of slowing, silence, solitude, Sabbath, simplicity, and slowing down. So in meditation, for example, you can turn your breathing even your breathing, into a prayer. And so you can do something like this. You breathe in love, and then you breathe out anger. You breathe in joy, and you breathe out sadness and pain. You breathe in peace, and you breathe out worry and anxiety. You breathe in patience, and you breathe out hurry. For thousands of years now, people in our tradition have had this breath prayer. 
They breathe in Jesus Christ. Breathe out Son of God, Savior. You might try it with me. Jesus Christ, Son of God, Savior. That prayer will change your life. Lower your heart rate, maybe help you live longer. And number 10, my favorite of all, take long vacations if you can. I know not everybody is in a station in life where you can do that, but a lot of us are. A lot of you can actually do this. It's going to take a lot of planning, but take long vacations with unstructured time if you can. This was one of the greatest gifts that a mentor of mine gave me back when I was in seminary, when I was on a staff of a really large church. And, and he simply said to me, Mark, never take less than 10 days off at a time um, if you're in senior leadership or you're in church work. Um, and he said, because otherwise, everything will wait on you until you get back and you will wish that you hadn't even left because you'll have more work uh, and you'll be more tired than had you not left at all. I found that to be really, really true. And he's not alone. Studies have found back in 2017 that happiness levels, when you're on vacation, they actually peak on day, anybody know? Day eight of a vacation. And then they simply plateau. And so for most people, if you don't take 10 days off, most people have a day of travel on either side. Guess what? You don't even get to your... Uh, you know, ultimate happiness level until day eight. And this is really interesting. Um, and of course, you would, you would expect this to be true. When God tells you something that's for your good, look what happens. In the Bible, Israel had three feasts a year set aside with eight days of rest. They were week-long Sabbaths. And so if you think about a week and a Sabbath on either side, well, that's eight days. And there were three of those, three of those festivals and so they would actually take that time. They would have that eight days of rest and be renewed and then get back to the work that the Lord had for them to do. So, John Mark Comer, uh, in closing, puts it like this. Remember, friends, what we give our attention to is the person we become for good or evil. What we give our attention to, what we give our time to, is what we give our life to. So our action steps for this week. Uh, we've, we've had lots of things that we can try. So pick a practice or two, right? Just, just pick, but, but do it for a week. Just say, you know, I'm, I'm going to actually try to stop at a stop sign for a week. Maybe, maybe that'll be good. Uh, maybe my neighbors will like me more. And so I'm just going to, I'm going to try this for a week. And then ask yourself, am I growing more easily discouraged these days? Or am I growing more encouraged these days about my life? Ask the second question. Am I growing more easily irritated these days? Or... Am I more at peace these days? Because, friends, when peace is growing inside you, you will be less discouraged. You will be uh, less off-centered. When, when something comes by you, you just be like, it's okay. I'm, I'm grounded. I'm solid. I've got a good foundation in my life. And when love is growing inside you, you'll be less easily irritated. You know, you think about the people that irritate you. Uh, it's hard for them to irritate you when you really, really, really love them. Many of you have been in super in love, as I have, and you will have those seasons when you look back on your life and you're like, wow, that person, they could do nothing wrong. I loved everything, every little quirk and thing that they do. My friends think it's annoying, but not me. I love it. And you do for maybe a week or two or a month or two or a year or two. Uh, and then oftentimes you'll join your friends. But you've got to get back to that love, that attention, that time, and you'll be amazed at how loving you can be. It won't even bother you anymore. Because, friends, peace and love grow when we slow. Will you say that with me? Peace and love grow when we slow. So, one last time, friends. Take a deep breath. 
Put those phones away, at least for a little while. Let your heart slow down. And really, really, let God take care of the world. Let God take care of the world. We say this prayer with me. Lord, slow me down until I walk with you. Then keep me there in your loving presence. Amen. And now with the confidence of the children of God, let's pray the Lord's Prayer together. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen.